Let's go to the Lord again. God, how good it is to be in your house. How good it is to be among your people. Good, Father, how good it is knowing that you are here more than seeing each other, more than being in a warm place this morning, Father. We know that you are here and we've come to worship you. Father, we pray that as I bring forth your word this morning, that you will do a work in our hearts. Father, help us to see the truth. Help us to see who Jesus really is. May he be more than just someone who's to look up to, someone who's done good things, someone that we are to model our lives after. May we see that he is the risen Christ, the one who saves dead men, the one who raises them to life, the one who brings them to the Father, the one who secures them. May we see all that Christ is this morning, Father God. Do a work in us. Father, we pray that as you do it for us, that you'll do it for Pillar Church DC. Be with Pastor Clint Clifton as he brings forth your word. Pray that you'll also be with the elder Thomas Hudson and his family, Father. Lord, as they're in a time of transition, I pray that you'll strengthen that body, that as they bring forth your word this morning, that it will not fall on deaf ears, but it will resonate deep in their hearts, Father. Pray for that fellowship, that brothers and sisters there will go forth and that they'll be nurtured today and they'll be strengthened and they'll be emboldened to share the good news of Jesus Christ with their neighbors. Father, we pray that you'll be with Chris and Megan Guthrie, with Whitcliffe Bible Translators. Such an important work that they have, Father. We pray that you will sustain them, not just financially. We pray that they will get the funds that they need, but more than that, Father, strengthen their hearts. Help them to endure. Help them to see on the, on the long days that there's an eternal good that's going on. We can't always see it, but you are working in so many ways. I pray that that will encourage Chris and Megan as they have forsaken everything that's familiar, their home and their family, their neighbors, all that's familiar here. And they've gone to Australia to translate the Bible into the mother tongue. Lord, we pray that you'll be with the Palestinians of Syria. Father, 400,000 people, again, who are trapped in the false religion of Islam. Father, so many believe that they can work themselves into heaven, that they can raise these massive boulders that are on our backs, Father. They can lift them off and they can walk right in. Father, show them that that burden is too heavy. They can never, ever be with you on their own. Help them to see that Jesus is more than just a man. Help them to see the Messiah, the one who you sent to die in sinner's place to atone for sin. Save them, Father. Lord, we ask that you will be with us now. It's in your name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. Is Jesus enough? 
Is he sufficient for you? Or are you wanting more? If someone were to look at your life, what would they say? Would they say that you want Jesus? That Jesus is what you want more than anything else? Is he enough? Or are you looking for other things? Those of us who call ourselves Christian, we come to church, we read the Bible, we pray, we love our neighbor. All of this is good. As Christians, we need to do these things, but we need to do them. We need to see why we do them. And we need to do them because they help us live in and with Jesus. God uses the Bible and prayer and songs like we've done this morning and good works to affect a love in our hearts for him. Sadly, there are those in the church who do all these things. They come to church and they read the Bible on a regular basis. They pray, they they sing songs, maybe going down the road, they'll sing songs. Yet they're not satisfied. They're not satisfied. Others would look at their life and say, man, they're, they're really religious. They're faithful to their church. But there's a difference in doing all this religious stuff and being truly satisfied in Jesus. We know that Jesus is enough. You can know that Jesus is enough when all the things in this world do not pull you away from him. Is he enough for you? Now in the church, we need to clarify and explain what I mean by Jesus being enough. Enough for what? Enough for salvation? Do you and I need Jesus to be saved from our sin? The answer is emphatically, absolutely, yes. Only Jesus can save you from God's judgment of your sin. If you spend any time in a gospel-centered church, you will hear how necessary Jesus is for eternal life. We know that Christ died for the ungodly. We are justified by faith in Christ, and those who have faith in Him shall be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Paul tells us that in the book of Romans. To be saved, to be justified, you must repent, you must confess and turn from your sin and believe that Jesus died in your place to atone for your sin. Most in this church and most in evangelical gospel-centered churches will answer the question, do I need Jesus to escape God's judgment? And they'll answer, yes, I need Jesus to be saved. Everybody needs Jesus. When we say that, what we're talking about is the difference between eternity in heaven with God or torment in hell because of God's judgment for sinners. Yes, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. He is the only way of salvation. But the Bible talks more of salvation than escaping judgment. It's definitely part of it, but there's more to it. 
When we talk about salvation, we typically mean spending eternity up there in heaven with God versus experiencing his wrath forever in hell. That's what we mean when we say salvation. Being delivered from sin and guilt and its curse, which is death. We're saved. And those who are not saved, Scripture tells us, remain in bondage and they will be judged. But the Bible also says salvation brings new birth and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And in this new birth, followers of Jesus walk in this newness of life. It's receiving spiritual blessing. Receiving spiritual blessing and citizenship in the kingdom of God where God's sovereign rule as king is enjoyed and it's celebrated. Believers are given a foretaste of it now. We're given spiritual blessings in Christ through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, through the encouragement of one another as we help each other along in our faith. We are now being conformed by the Spirit to Christ. We're being changed from one one degree of glory to the next. Those who have faith in Jesus, they have new life. It's not just about escaping judgment. It's this new life that you live in Jesus. That is salvation. Those who have faith, they're given new hearts with new desires that replace old ones. Affections for godliness go to war against our own sin. To say a person needs Jesus to be saved from sin is absolutely true. That is the gospel message. But it's not a complete picture for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It would be a disservice for you and anyone else if we just say, do you want to be saved? Do you want to escape judgment? Then get Jesus. There's so much more to this. There's there's a life to be lived in Jesus. That is the essence of salvation. It's wanting Jesus who's eternal over temporary things. When I ask, is Jesus enough? I am asking, do you trust him for salvation from God's judgment of your sin? And is he the highest treasure in your life? All of that encompasses what it means to be saved. You see, being with Jesus as greater blessing than any material prosperity or worldly success you could ever gain. That your physical health is more important to you than you, than is not. Your physical health is not more important than your fellowship with Jesus. Knowing this then, let me ask again. Is Jesus enough for you? I believe Paul answers this question in our text this morning. The Colossians were going through the same struggles that we face today. The same thing. Nothing new is under the sun. What we face, the Colossians were facing. These false teachers were saying that there's, there's more to spirituality. 
There's more to life of faith than Jesus. And Paul wrote to the church and said, not only do you need Jesus, your life is complete in him. So stop looking elsewhere. Last week, we spent our entire time together looking at just two verses, verses six and seven, which are the essence of the whole book of Colossians. If you want to know in a brief summary what the book of Colossians is all about, it's in verses six and seven. Paul told the Colossians, and every Christian needs to hear this, that as you received Christ, as you received salvation, as you received this eternal new life in Christ, so walk in him. Don't get caught up in lies that say Jesus isn't enough for you. Receiving Jesus Christ is receiving God's grace that grants new Godward focused life that confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior and looks to him to satisfy you. Christians are to receive Jesus and we are to walk in him. We are to remain in him, rooted and built up in him. That means any teaching that adds to Jesus or pulls you away from him is false. And we're certainly faced with that today, aren't we? Being away from Jesus is the most dangerous place a person can be. Because only Jesus can shield you from God's wrath. Only he can give you life. So don't listen to any false teaching. Don't give in to it. Stay in the faith. Fight for truth. It's a struggle. Fight any teaching that does not uphold the truth of Christ. And what that means then is that fellow believers, we are in a battle. We're in a battle whether we like it or not. Because there is false teaching out there today. If we're going to fight for truth, we then need to know how to do it. In any fight, there's a defense and there's a plan of attack and a plan for victory. Verse 8 of our passage starts in a defensive posture. It's a defensive position. It tells us not to be taken captive. Don't be snatched away and made a prisoner. Don't become a casualty. And then verses 9 through 15 is God's plan of victory. They tell us how all these other teachings are beaten back. That we don't fight this battle of faith on our own. We join a fight that's already been won. The plan of victory is all centered on one. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's plan of victory. He's at the center of it all. Do you see what God's doing, church? This battle is real. The battle for men's souls is is real. This battle for faith. The battle between truth and false teaching. And do you see what God's doing? God isn't just pointing out the obstacles in our passage and saying these obstacles are false teaching. 
And then he tells us, you need to somehow get around them. And if you do, that'll be really good. No, he's not doing that at all, is he? He says, look out for all those obstacles. They're dangerous. They will kill you. Follow me so they will not harm you. You're safe with me. I'll look out for you. I've already declared victory. Stay with me as I win this battle. It reminds me when I was in the Marines, we had to go through a minefield one time. And if you walked on a mine, that was it. You'd be dead. If your vehicle drove over a mine, it'd explode. This particular time, it was night, which made it even worse. You, you couldn't see very far out in front of you. And when you're in a battle, you don't want to give off your position. So you don't have lights on in front. So you're doing everything in the dark, hoping that a little bit of light will, will help you. So it was hard to see. We were told that a path had been cleared for us. It was safe to move forward. It was marked with tape even. As long as we stayed between those two lines of tape, we'd be okay. We were safe. And as you walked, you hoped that none of the mines were left over in in the path. Vehicle after vehicle went and we all made it. It was dicey at times, but because the path had been cleared and it was clearly marked and all of us stayed on the path, No one was killed or injured. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, were faced with a minefield before us. There are all kinds of false teaching that will injure you or kill your faith. These minds are active and they will destroy men and women who wander off the path. But we're given a safe path, aren't we? We're given a safe path on the way forward, and it's been clearly marked. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, given through his word, keeps us where we need to be. It shines a light for us, and we know where we need to be. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we don't walk this path on our own, do we? God puts us on this path and then he says to us, stay with me. I'll lead you through this minefield. I'll lead you and I'll protect you. Those minds will not harm you as long as you're with me and I've already defeated them. Let me take you to the end of our passage in verse 15 for for just a second. I don't normally skip all the way to, to the end, but I think it's important To look at verse 15 this morning, it says, Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and to put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And we'll get into that more later. But I want you to see Jesus has completely defeated the powers of sin and evil. And his victory over sin and death become our victory Through our faith in him. Let's look at this victorious battle plan that God's laid out for us. Paul writes in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and 
empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't be taken prisoner. Don't be taken by deception and lies. See to it means watch out. Be on the lookout. Be vigilant. Be wary of counterfeits and false doctrine that can trick you. Sometimes these false doctrines are really obvious, aren't they? Like the prosperity gospel. They can, you can tell what their goal is. Their goal is to get rich. But other times, there are subtle distortions. Little twists of true biblical teaching. Some will say it's okay to have Jesus in the world too. But Jesus says no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What good is it to buy the whole world and lose your soul? God makes it very clear that he is worth far more than anything else. You can't have Jesus and worship something else too. You can't chase after temporary pleasures of this world and hope to get eternal ones. What was the deception and the lies that the Colossians faced? What was this battle that they were engaged in? Now, Paul doesn't, honestly, Paul doesn't address a particular false teaching in his letter. Later in the chapter, here in chapter 2, he does argue against observing certain Jewish festivals and having a Jewish understanding of the Sabbath. This puts Paul's writing at odds with the Jewish religion which tells us you can't have Jesus in other religions too. We're not given more specifics than this though. But that's actually more helpful for us when you think about it. The false teachings that are talked about is more in general terms. False teaching can come in any form. They can come from outside the church. They can come inside the church. Just because certain teachings have a Christian label on it doesn't necessarily make them Christian. Whatever the teaching is, if if it says that Jesus is not enough for you to be saved or not enough to have a fulfilled life, it's not of God. Be on guard against it. Paul says, don't be taken by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, in this context, when Paul says philosophy, what he's talking about is any way of thought that counters biblical teachings. He's not talking about philosophy like what you would take in a class. He's talking about how we're told to think. He's referring to any method of thought that's outside of Christian orthodoxy. Anything that is not part of the true Christian historical faith, be on guard on. The world makes blatant claims against Christianity all the time. They claim it's not intellectual, it's not scientific, it's old-fashioned and outdated, it's intolerant. Don't believe any of it. 
that thinking will mislead you. But there are also others that's heard in churches like thinking spiritual growth can somehow happen outside of the Bible. People saying it's okay to use contemporary songs or short devotions or other people's advice instead of focused study of God's word. When God says his word is what renews your mind. His word helps you to think rightly and teach you his ways and show you what real love is and trains you in godliness. Being in his word does this. God has given what you need right here, right here in this book. Everything you need is right here. Self-help books won't do it. Taking pills won't do it. Modern psychology doesn't do it. You see, this battle is everywhere. Everything's going to be thrown at you. You have to be prepared. It came to the Colossian church And we're faced with it in our day also. Others teach you that you can use God to fulfill the passions of the flesh. And God simply calls that greed or lust. They may say what happens on Sunday is somehow separate from the rest of your week. When worship on Sunday prepares you for the week. They may say that church life and family life are somehow at odds with each other when church life improves family life. That holiness is added to a person's salvation when it is a fruit of salvation. All of these are promoted in so-called Christian circles and by people who frankly have not been discipled well at best. See to it that you're not taken captive by this way of thinking. Paul calls it empty deceit. It's empty truth. It's counterfeit and untrustworthy. It will cheat you out of God's goodness and his forgiveness. Listen to these other verses where the same root word for deceit is used in the Bible. In Matthew 13, 22, Jesus gives his parable of the seeds. He warns us of being the person who's led away by the lie of wealth. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Again, in Mark 4, 19, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful. Paul uses it again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Regarding your former way of life, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There's deceitfulness in this world. We are to be on guard from it. This deceitfulness will choke your faith. False teaching will corrupt what you learn about Christ. It will harden your heart and turn you away from Him. Now notice 
Not only does Paul tell us to be on our guard for these things, to defend ourselves from wayward thinking, he gives us three ways to identify this false teaching. It's there in the second half of verse 8. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. In each of these three, Paul gives us indicators to mark the teaching as false. One way to identify false teaching is that it will be according to human tradition. It's man-made, in other words. It's not from God. It doesn't come from God. Its basis will be found in, it will not be found in God's word. It will be found somewhere else that man's created. A human will come up with it. It will try to explain and make sense of the world and your life apart from what God has told you in his Bible. If you cannot trace a teaching back to sound doctrine found in the Bible, then it's merely man-made fantasy. Accepting it will be like walking on quicksand. You'll step into it and you'll sink and there's no solid ground to hold you. You'll just go under. Another marker of false teaching is that it will be according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, honestly, this phrase is hard to interpret. A literal meaning of it is according to the principles of this world, like what's in pagan religions, like New Age, mysticism, astrology, Scientology, and even evolution. Beliefs that look to nature, in other words, beliefs that look to nature for guidance and fulfillment. Looking to the stars to direct your life or your birth month or the seasons have some kind of special meaning. Worshiping the sun or the moon. How this phrase is worded, though, it can also mean where this world is at the mercy of angels and spirits. That they somehow control your life. They somehow control this life of ours. There's even beliefs where people become angels and they somehow help us through life. None of this is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. Both of these interpretations are separate from what God says in his word. The heavens declare the glory of God. We look to creation and we see there's a creator. He directs and guides and gives meaning. He has cosmic power. The angels serve at his command to fulfill his purposes. The third marker Paul gives here is that it will not be according to Christ. Any teaching that leads you away from Christ or it rivals his supremacy or contradicts his gospel is wrong and it will take you to the front door of hell. Anytime a belief, a teaching, a way of thinking moves that needle just a little bit even. Any teaching that that moves just the truth just a little bit away from Christ, the Christ that's revealed in the scriptures, it's a fraud. 
That means any sermon, any book or study that does not keep the center focus on Christ and his gospel that he proclaimed should be denied and cast away. The prosperity gospel is a clear example of this. The heresies that come from prosperity teachers have deceived millions of people. People have not only ended up with ruined lives, they have followed wolves who devour them. Their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Their God is wealth. And you cannot serve both money and God. But there's also a softer version of the prosperity gospel that has become much more widely accepted in mainline Christianity. We need to avoid teachings that put less emphasis on holiness and more on physical health or greater wealth and better outcomes for this life. God says holiness matters more. This life that we're in is not more important than the one to come. Do you believe that? That's what God says in his word. As Christians, we have something far better in store for us. We have Jesus forever and eternity. We don't deny what goes on in this life. We're not oblivious to this life. We don't ignore what goes on in this life. But we do deny its value compared to being with the Holy God. We deny the lie that says anything is good apart from Christ. God needs to be at the heart of who we are and what we're about. Don't get trapped. There's also a danger that we all can face, and it's called self-deception. Not only can the minds be out there in front of us, it can be within us also. We all can be self-deceived. And that's why our faith is not lived out in private. It is deeply personal. It's a deeply personal faith that's lived, though, in community with one another. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness Of sin. There's that word again. We need help and we need to help each other avoid false teachings and false beliefs. The difference between Christ and these empty, deceitful lies is like getting stranded on a cold, freezing day. Imagine a day that's even colder than it was this morning when you got up. It's freezing cold, frigid temperatures out there. And you're lost. And someone finds you and they bring you to their home and they give you a seat near a roaring fire at the fireplace. They give you a warm blanket and a, and a hot drink and you say, nah, n- no thanks. I'm going to go eat ice cream outside because it tastes good to me. Your heart will freeze in the cold, hard deadness of false teaching. So open the scriptures. Be reminded of our Lord and the warmth of the gospel. 
It'll become fire in your bones. Paul then, in verses 9 through 15, gives the plan for beating the false thinking and the empty deceit. He doesn't just say, be on guard, be lookout. We're not just always defensive and saying, Ugh, that's the world out there. I'm going to stay over here. No, there's an offense that goes on. There's a battle that, that we are engaged in. Paul gives this plan for beating this false thinking. And he tells why Christians should reject all these lies and empty teachings. Put it simply, because Christ is sufficient. We have it all in Christ. It's Christ who gives the fullness we desire and the forgiveness we need and the freedom from sin that we all long for. If Christians are to become what God has declared us to be, then we need to understand more of who Christ is and what he does for us. We need to understand this fullness, this forgiveness and freedom that's found only in him. In verses 9 through 12, Paul tells us the fullness. He says Christians are filled in Christ. We are complete. The whole essence of God is in Christ. Everything that you are created to be and to do is found in Christ. It's complete in him. Paul also says we're identified in Christ. Through faith, God sees us as his children. We are identified as sons and daughters. The relationship that the beloved son has with the father is ours. This eternal relationship that they've always enjoyed has never been broken, is now given to followers of Jesus, and it can't ever be taken away from anything. It's ours. This means God powerfully works in believers to give them this unbreakable fellowship with him. If you're a believer, that means nothing can take you out of God's grasp. You're identified now with Christ. Those who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus now have identity in Christ. And this is where our understanding, our hope, and our assurance That Jesus is the Christ, that he's the promised one who alone saves people from God's wrath. It's found in being identified with Christ. He alone gives this everlasting love and, and goodness. This means then that unbelievers are not full because they do not have Christ. They're still looking for meaning. They're not in Christ, and therefore they're not identified as children of God, Scripture says they're children of wrath. God is not their father. He's their judge. This is why it's so incredibly important to keep the gospel at the forefront of everything, everything we are and what we do, so that those apart from Christ can hear the good news that Jesus bore the wrath for all who repent and believe in him. And also, it's important for those of us who do believe 
to keep the gospel at the center of it all and to remind each other that we have Christ. Because in verse 13, we're told that forgiveness is what we have in Christ. Christians have been made alive, what does it say? With him. God has forgiven us all our trespasses, all of them. We're not just made alive and now we live on our own. We now live with Christ. The one who took our punishment for our sin is who we're now filled with and we now live with forever. It's all centered on Christ. That means then non-Christians, unbelievers, are not forgiven because they're not with Christ. They don't have the protection that He provides. They wander off into the minefields and they'll die. Christ gives believers fullness. He gives us forgiveness. And now we see in verses 14 and 15, we have freedom. Because of Christ, what he did on the cross for our behalf, God canceled our record of debt. There was a legal demand against us. The wages of sin is death. But Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross. He paid our debt by going to the cross and dying. He became the curse for us breaking God's law, the consequence for which of not honoring him or bestowing, bestowing glory that he deserves. Jesus took that debt that we owe and he paid it. You and I could never pay this debt. It's too much for us. The judgment of God is too much for us to bear. Scripture talks about those who will bear the judgment of God. They're going to cry out and ask for something to cover them from that judgment. It's too much for us. But Jesus took it. Jesus took it and atoned for our sin and gives us life and peace and joy to all of his people. This is only for believers. Only believers are given that path and only believers have it marked and are kept safe by God. This means every person you know who is not a believer owes God a debt that they cannot pay. We need to tell them before it's too late that Jesus has paid it. They can be free from the consequences of sin. They can be forgiven. They can know they can have full, complete love and relationship with the one they're created for. We need to share this truth. We we need to defend this truth because in this truth of Jesus, we have it all. You see, faith is not just an option that we're given. Faith is not an option between Jesus and something else. As long as you got it figured out, then you're good. You're, you're safe from judgment. It's so much more than that. It's seeing Jesus as more beautiful than whatever else there is over there. This sin over here that may give immediate gratification 
but you choose Jesus because of the everlasting joy. That's God-given faith. That's the fullness that we're talking about. Seeing, yeah, this sin may give temporary pleasure, but it doesn't last. I, I have complete pleasure, full joy with Christ forever. It's trusting that he has defeated all his enemies, that he's the hero who saves you. You see, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is miraculous. All the powers of evil and darkness have been put to shame. Sinners who repent can now have new life and be satisfied in him. We may battle false teaching, but we're told the war is already won. Why would anyone want anything else? Why would you want anything else when you can have it all in Christ? False teachers will say Jesus is never enough. I tell you the Jesus of the Bible is enough. He is enough. He's the one who died and was resurrected and who's now at the right hand of the Father. He is enough for you. Our call to worship fantastic, fantastic call for, for this morning. If you want to turn to Lamentations or look there on your bulletin, but I'm going to add to it. There's a verse after it that I want to also, I, I want to show you. Lamentations 3, 22, and this is how we're going to end. Lamentations 3, beginning verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That means it's always with us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God's love for you, God's love that he's given you is always with you. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Then look at verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I hope that is your battle cry this morning. The Lord is my portion. He is all that I need. He is enough. Therefore, I will hope in him. He is all you and I need to be safe and be satisfied. Let's pray.